Hi there, loyal listeners. I just wanted to apologize for the poor audio quality of some of my videos or uh, podcasts. There's just a lot of noise in my house right now. My husband's oxygen machine is really noisy and he has the TV going constantly. And there's just been a lot of people coming and going and obviously dogs barking. And I'm sorry about all that in the background. But I hope you'll you'll be patient with me until I can have a quiet time to record again. And it's not even quiet in my van because it's so hot I have to have the AC running so I can't sit in my van and record. So anyway, I just wanted to explain. I uh, hope you have a good day and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to Blue Skies and Green Pastures. I'm your host, Paula Adams. I hope you don't mind the sounds of a summer evening, sitting outside watching the hummingbirds. They're literally swarming the feeders. Um, We're in the path of the migration, so we get to enjoy seeing them coming and going. If you put the feeders out they will come and they have really been going through the sugar water and just in case you didn't know if you never put out a bird feeder for hummingbirds you don't need to buy that red stuff that little powdery mix that they sell all you have to do is mix a one to four cup ratio of plain white sugar and regular tap water and they'll eat it up so they do probably get attracted to the red so that's why most feeders have red on them I have one that's like a red glass and then I have another one that's clear but it has a red top and a red base so I think they do that they do look to the red but I think they also, they, they follow on a path. So if they've been to your house before, they'll probably, I think this as they travel, they're just kind of looking around to see what they find on people's property. And, and you know, what's funny is, is hummingbirds, as fun as they are to watch, they're, they, they're mean little things. They're greedy, they're aggressive, they fight. They, they chase each other away from the feeder. And it's really, you know, funny to watch because they're so small, a couple, you know, f- few inches long. And they're really beautiful to look at. But they, they definitely have some bad social skills. But anyway, our topic today is going to be one that I've been kind of mulling over and working on for quite a while. For several days at least and just trying to formulate in my mind I didn't want to rush into it and I hope it comes out the way I want it to but I, I started off by writing a blog about it because there are so many things and I don't want to I wanted to know you know sometimes I sometimes I do a podcast where I just wing it and just talk but sometimes like today 
I want to be sure to get the points in that I think are important. So today's blog is entitled Owning Your Spiritual Choices. But I've had multiple titles and I just keep changing it. Um, but the topic itself is that we must take personal responsibility for our spiritual life and um, well let's just jump right in how about a prayer first dear God I thank you that you give me this opportunity to speak to people and I just pray that that you would guide my words and that I would not say anything unhelpful or uh, that would cause you any dishonor so put a guard over my mouth and I pray that you will be with me Holy Spirit in Jesus name I pray amen so Eve I've been I've been talking about Eve a lot lately when Eve got in trouble with God what did she do she blamed the serpent and then what did Adam do he blamed Eve and actually he was really kind of blaming God because he was saying the woman that you gave me in other words this is your fault God you gave me that woman so what what did they get in trouble for they got in trouble for sinning and disobeying God and immediately instead of repenting and confessing and and saying oh god have mercy on us what did they do they just blamed and how often do we all do that right we we panic and we like oh it was not my fault it's not my fault instead of just owning it well i've been listening to a very interesting podcast called the rise and fall of mars hill Mars Hill was a popular megachurch that was founded in 1996 and was closed down in 2014 after the pastor, Mark Driscoll, resigned. The podcast is in a documentary style and produced by Christianity Today. They have their own podcast. I'm not a big fan of Christianity Today, but I chose to listen to this podcast because at one time I used to listen to Mark Driscoll way back in you know when he was new before any of this happened and also because of the times we're living in where people live leaving churches and then blaming the churches so thanks to the internet many bad things have happened well one of them is that when there's some kind of problem within a church, big or small, uh, it's very easy for that problem to become a public drama. It's no longer, you know, a private thing between the pastor, the elders, and the members. Because why? Because people love drama. And because Satan loves to make the church look bad so that he can dilute the power of the church in the world and you know human beings are pretty good at giving plenty of uh, 
ammunition for that. So in the case of Mark Driscoll, we're told that he was the one that should be blamed for the fall of his church. And I'm not denying that at all. He did have many bad issues, um, such as anger issues and just improper sermon topics. And he, he kind of got like out of control there for a while. And we'll talk about that more later. Um, but the blog is not going to be for the purpose of judging Mark Driscoll, even though I will talk about him. What I really want to talk about is the fact that most of the people in his 12,000 member church were not, they didn't have a problem with him. Only a few thousand left, and that wasn't until the drama erupted. So the thing is, he, he was very popular. So if, if he had not been called out and his church was still going, you know, the people who were attending that church, that is their... <laughs> Sorry, a wasp came right up to my head. Uh, you know, that's that's their business. You know, they can't blame it on someone else if, if they decide later, oh, well, we were abused by this pastor. Well, not if you chose to attend that church and no one was forcing you. Um, you know, now I know that sometimes people are born into a religious group and it can be abusive, and there's a lot of bad churches out there, cults, and very legalistic denominations. I've heard, you know, some really sad stories about the Amish and the um, charismatic churches, and, you know, every church is different. There's good, there's probably some good Amish people and some bad Amish people that you know, some people feel like they were abused in those churches and they, they left once they became adults. That was their responsibility. They, they said, this is not, I don't think this is right. So they left. So I'm not talking about children who were raised in churches and they had no way to leave. I'm talking about adults who, who are become aware that a pastor is going off of He's, he's no longer doing the right thing as, as defined in the Bible. And Mark Driscoll does seem to have been displaying quite a few, you know, questionable judgments at the very least. Um, but he still was very popular. So... It's up to us as Christians to make sure that our leaders that we follow, the books that we read, the authors, the podcast, the um, videos we watch, that, that these people, number one, that we don't idolize them and we don't you know, make an idol out of them. And number two, that we verify the things they tell us and make sure that that's what the Bible actually says 
and that it's not been taken out of context or had parts removed or, you know, been misinterpreted to fit their agenda or, you know, kind of twisted to make just, a, oh, this will work good in my sermon, but that's not exactly what the Bible was talking about. And that happens a lot. That's called taking it out of context and using it, you know, just as a sermon prop. It's not really what the Bible was talking about. What God, it wasn't God's intention, his intended message. So how are you going to know? Well, you're only going to know if you know your Bible. And I mean, I've said that quite a few times in other podcasts, that the most important thing that you can do while going to church is important, the most important thing you can do is Bible study. Because if you just go to church and you never study your Bible, you could be easy prey to a false teacher. So let's talk about teachers. Well, James tells us in chapter 3 that not everyone should assume that they will be a good teacher. This is an important job, and teachers will be held to a higher standard, is what it says in these verses. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James 3, verse 1. In the same chapter, James says that our words are very important. And this is right after he says that not everyone should be teachers. So we can assume that he meant that a, a teacher must be even more careful with their words than other people. He goes on to say that teachers should not be jealous or have selfish ambition because that is demonic and not wise. So remember that your teacher should not be displaying traits that that are obviously ambitious is he trying to further his you know is he trying to move up in the world or is he trying to glorify God is he trying to get you to trust him more or is he trying to get you to grow in your faith in God to me that is like the most important clue is when you finish listening to a sermon, is your faith on fire? Are you like, God is so good. I know God is with me. I can trust God even in in the hard times. Or do you feel like, oh, I have to do better. You know, I need to follow this list of things to do to make myself better or something like that. Because that's, that's legalism. Okay, in the book of Jude, which is a short book that is the last book in the new, uh, before, um, uh, I think it's right before Revelation. Um, Sorry about that. I'm pretty sure it is, but now I'm doubting myself. Anyway, it's a short book that everyone should read. And Jude also gives us some very good guidance on what to look for in a false teacher. Um, In the blog, I have a graphic, and it says a few things like, False teachers, according to Jude, pervert the gospel for sensuality, and they deny Jesus Christ in using the gospel for sin. They um, 
defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme God and angels. They are hidden reefs with congregations threatening destruction. They follow their own sinful desires. They are shepherds feeding themselves. They are motivated by greed, envy, and their own pride. They rely on dreams for doctrine and authority. They are waterless clouds making promises that never come. They're wandering stars, misleading, giving misleading guidance. They're ungodly deeds committed in ungodly ways because they are ungodly. They are fruitless trees, promising fruit that never comes. They are like wild waves, restless, destructive. They're grumblers and fault finders. They're bombastic speakers. I mean, that's like loud mouths. They are scoffers who follow their ungodly passions, and they enchant people for their own gain, and it is they that cause divisions. Wow, those are some strong words that describe a lot of popular people that prey on people who are afraid and people who really are not Christians or they're very weak Christians. Um, So speaking of Mark Driscoll, if you listen to the podcast, plus I also did a lot of reading online about him, I tried to find some people who supported him and I found a few of that, a little bit of that, but most for the most part, he was pretty much roundly denounced, at least back in 2014. There's not a lot of new stuff about him, but at that time, he was definitely uh, considered to be uh, displaying a lack of controlling his tongue and showing signs that he was more interested in growing his church and his empire than just glorifying God. Um... He also talked about sex a lot from the pulpit and graphically. And he uh, displayed anger whenever anyone uh, questioned him or doubted his authority. He fired people who questioned him. I mean, he did do a lot of bad stuff. But despite that... um, after they did an investigation of him, the elders, they decided that he could still be the pastor. And surprisingly, after that happened, like right after they they told him that, you know, the results of their investigation, he submitted his resignation. In other words, even though they said he could stay, he quit. So that doesn't seem to be a really good trait either to just run away from conflict and basically abandon your 12,000 member church. It may have been down to like 9,000 by that point, but still, four campuses. You know, I I don't, I'm not trying to judge him because I only have the information that, that I have. You know, there could be some stuff that I don't know, but there doesn't seem to be any question about the things that I just said. Those, you know, you can actually watch videos of him saying those things and you can hear from the people who, 
who were involved in the investigation and how they were treated and how they were fired and all that. So those are facts. Now, why he decided to leave his own motivation and his own reasons, that I don't know for sure because I haven't talked to him. <laughs> so even after his church was closed, he still had supporters. And even now, he is the pastor of another church. He had some buddies, some mega church buddies who helped him out. And his wife is also was his supporter. And they went and started a new church in Scottsdale, Arizona. They left uh, Seattle, Washington, where the other churches were, and moved and started this new church, Trinity Church. Um, so in my research, I listened to a sermon and it was from August 7th of 2021. So very recent. And the scripture passage was Romans 16, 17, and I will read it. I urge you brothers and sisters to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Okay, I found it a little bit humorous that he was preaching on this. And I was like, oh... What is he going to say? Because, uh, you know, he was basically kicked out of a church by people who were trying to be discerning and who considered that he was, uh, you know, not being good. So I kept listening. And what did he talk about? He talked about three kinds of people, and he did an hour-long sermon on this. Three types of people, evil, foolish, and wise. And that's what he got out of that, <laughs> that verse. And he, you know, he sprinkled in a few additional verses about, you know, wise people and fools and stuff. And the things he said were actually pretty, like, true. Like, evil people do this, and foolish people act like this, and wise people act like this. And, you know, I agreed. I agreed with the things he was saying. Um, it was what I would call, you know, good advice for life. I don't know if I would call it um, so much... A sermon as more like life coaching. Um, I would kind of love to hear another pastor preach on that particular verse just to compare it. One of the pastors I like maybe like Adrian Rogers or J. Vernon McGee. See I'm I'm a boomer so that means that I grew up listening to and I'm a Baptist. I listen to very old-style Baptist sermons all my life. So I, that's what I kind of, you know, am used to and I like it. And, you know, I compare 
other pe preachers to these guys. And if a preacher gets up there and he takes a few verses, and Joel Osteen is really bad about this, takes a few verses and then gives a motivational speech with a very, very thin connection to those verses. To me, that is bordering on blasphemy because it's really just using that verse rather than actually preaching the word of God. So, but back to Mark Driscoll's sermon. His sermon, you know, it was good advice for people who don't know the difference between foolishness and wisdom. It was, it was you know, it was a good uh, life coaching session. And of course he, you know, he did add in some, some Christian words and some, some things about Jesus, you know, it was an hour long. So he, he had time to get it in there. I think this type of life coaching is needed in a world where young people are taught that everything is a lie and that they should reject it and build something different. But the fact is that most of these people don't even know how to think for themselves and they don't know what is good and evil because they've been told that evil and good don't exist or that they're relative depending on a situation or your truth is my your truth and my truth is my truth or they're so confused that they need sermons like that but you know they also need to go to church to learn about God and they need to know what God has to say more than what the preachers you know advice is so I don't know I feel like that particular sermon would be good in like a a, you know, maybe a, a special class, but, you know, I wouldn't call it Bible study. I wouldn't call it Sunday school, maybe a life group or something like that, where people talk about their problems and stuff. But, you know, people still need deep Bible study. And, you know, he, I guess he does that too. But this particular sermon, I would not call deep Bible study. So... Um, in the blog, there's a video from, that came out in 2013, and it's a it's another preacher, and I forgot to put his name in the in the blog, but he gets mad and because there's a man sleeping in his uh, ser during the sermon, and he calls him out by name and humiliates him, and then he starts humiliating other people in the um, in the congregation. And then that got put on the news, and he didn't back down one bit. He was like, that's how I preach. Get over it. And <laughs> so the point being that Driscoll is not the only one, because Driscoll, that's his, that's his uh, personality too. He's like, if you don't like me, get out. And, and you know, one of the reasons he, he uh, got so much bad flack and bad press, I should say, is... Because he um, talked about throwing people under the bus and he said there was dead bodies under the bus and, you know, uh, he was talking about elders and that he had just fired. So he was pretty, like, aggressive and, you know, 
not very Christian or mature in the things he said. Uh, however, like I said, he's not the only very popular pastor that has some of those traits that Jude lists of a false teacher and that also James lists. So why do so many people go to these churches? Well, the Bible tells us in the last times, people will flock to these false teachers because they have itching ears, which means that they want to hear what these people are saying. They like the way it makes them feel. It, they off, these preachers offer them hope that they will become prosperous. So we have the prosperity gospel. They offer the liberation theology that is popular in, you know, third world countries. And they also, like Mark Driscoll, offer guidance on how to live in a very confusing world, like a, in America. But all of them seem to end up kind of putting their style and their brand um, a little bit more prominent than Jesus. And that's where the problem is. But we're talking about our personal responsibility, right? To choose who we listen to. And if we remember that we as humans have a tendency to want to follow people that we like and and we have to like check ourselves and make sure that those people are actually bi- biblical <laughs> then we can then we can stay safe but many people just they don't do that um they're controlled by their flesh and they follow the preachers that appeal to their flesh but what does the bible say the bible teaches us that following jesus is about Humbly submitting to God's will, being a servant for God's kingdom, and recognizing that our life on earth until we're with God, that we're going to have trials and possibly persecution, maybe even death. So that message is just, you know, some preachers do talk about that, if then they can kind of use it to their advantage in some way especially to uh, keep people in fear but or to build people up so they won't be afraid either way they're appealing to emotions um, instead of faith because we can't rely on our emotions we we have to rely on the knowledge of God knowing who God is and knowing what he's done and what he's going to do what Jesus did, we if we how well we know Jesus and how we we get to know him personally, that's where our faith grows. It's not in emotions. Um well, we're already at 30 minutes, so I don't want to go too far. Let me just pause here for my uh my uh, anchor ad. Be right back. Okay, so so what prosperity gospel um, is probably popular now because prosperity is popular. I mean, 
because America is prosperous. And the, the more prosperous America gets, the more prosperous people expect to be, and it becomes a goal, and um, contentment, and thank gratitude for what we have, and um, just being a good person, and living your life, those things become less popular. And what becomes more popular is how can you get more and how can you do this and how can you do that instead of serving God with your life and being, you know, being thankful for what you have, which is what Paul and the other disciples did. They, they definitely were not in it for themselves. Um, so I think the, one of the problems that has led to these, the popularity of these preachers is that we as a country have just gotten soft and our our softness includes a lack of spiritual knowledge and spiritual discipline and just dependence on experts and someone else telling us what to think. So, you know... Satan knows that people are like that and he's going to send preachers out there and he's going to help them prosper. Uh, So what would you call that? I I would call that idolatry. Um, That is people putting man's word above God's word. And this is also related to what I talked about in another podcast. Um... And that was how churches that are trying to to preach the truth are splitting, you know. And one of the reasons Mark Driscoll got under attack, I believe, is because he was actually, um, he was speaking the, the truth. You know, some of his problems didn't come until after he had been you know, preaching for a while. It's like he kind of lost his way. But he was very traditional. I mean, he was biblical. He was saying that homosexuality is a sin according to the Bible. He was saying that you should not have sex before marriage. He was saying that you should, um, that the husband, that that the man is the head of, of the household. And, you know, those things were not, ta- you know, they're not popular anymore. And they weren't popular when he was saying them, but but they were popular with us, with some people because obviously his church grew. But here's one thing, is his church growth really took off when the internet took off. Um, like he started his church in 96 and you know, the internet was still pretty slow and new, but the, after a few years when it it improved in speed, more people were watching videos and listening to podcasts and stuff. People started, you know, more people had the internet in their house. Um, ministries like his really took off and, his message appealed to a lot of people and that weren't even going to his church. So like I said, I used to listen to his podcast occasionally. I, I, 
I love podcasts, so I was listening to him <laughs> way back. Um, and I didn't even realize that he was in Seattle, Washington at that time. Um, but the point is, he was in a very liberal um, city, and I think he got basically cancel cultured um, starting in like 2013, and you know, is when people were picketing him because he wasn't he because he was saying that homosexuality was a sin, and you know, he became the focus of you know people who don't like churches who speak truth and he and I got to give him credit he did not back down and he's still saying those things so that's why you know even if he's not the greatest pastor in the world I do give him a lot of you know kudos for refusing to bow to the uh, PC crowd the cancel culture crowd I think he made mistakes Yes, and maybe he's a little narcissistic or whatever. We don't, you know, I don't know the guy, but based on what I heard, he had some issues. So I'm hoping that they're getting better. But he's not afraid. He's not afraid to stand up for what he believes in. And that's something in today's culture. So, um, you know, new believers they can kind of be excused from not understanding that there are bad preachers and teachers. And that's why it's so important that someone tell them as soon as they get saved, the importance of watching out for bad teachers and preachers. Tell them, look, welcome to the family. Now you need to know that there are false, you know, Christians in our family. There's Judases. There's people who pretend to be, you know, uh, followers of Jesus that really aren't. So this is how you recognize them. Here, read the book of Jude. Read James. Read Paul. Read Colossians. I mean, so many, um, so many warnings. Because as soon as the church was formed, the devil attacked it. But the amazing thing, and basically proof that this is, that it's real, is that the devil could not kill it. So, we have to help out the new believers to know that they need to basically learn their Bibles and just be on the alert. So, Driscoll's critical but very empowering messages were very appealing to his audience. He is giving something, people something they want. Now, one another thing that I found interesting is that his rise to power uh, really seemed to increase after 9-11. So, I think people really, um, they like the fact that he... He seemed strong. He seemed um, sure of himself, confident, and he wasn't afraid. And he, you know, he gave that to his his congregation that that you know he shared that that feeling of you know you can trust God. You can you know it's going to be okay. And you know I haven't. I'd like to go and listen to some of his sermons after nine eleven and see what he said. I haven't done that yet, but I do find that his whole story really interesting. And I hope who's ever listened to this knows that I don't 
I'm not making myself a judge of him or any other preachers. I just happened upon that podcast and I was like, wow, this is a really interesting story. And I started looking into it more and just thinking about all the different implications. And this is where we are right now. So obviously there are many movements and individuals that start off looking good, but then kind of, you know, go astray and and you know that could just mean that the leader wasn't really mature enough to handle so you know such a big a big following and they might need a little bit more guidance from older more mature wiser people and that was one thing that Mark Driscoll did is he he did not want that guidance he wanted to be in control so that showed that he wasn't mature um or, or that he's a false teacher and all he really cared about was making money, one or the other. Um, so, it's very uh, appealing, you know, his type of message. It's kind of entertaining and it's, uh, you know, in- inspiring. But we we need to be sure that what we are doing is worshiping God and learning about God. So, talking about personal responsibility, sometimes we're so close to a church problem that we can't, or or sometimes when we're in a church, we don't see the problem. And I'm I'm sure that that's why so many people did not leave his church. And I think a lot of the problems that were going on in his church were actually like within his employees and other church workers. They weren't really with his members. So, you know, he was pretty good at putting on the right, you know, you know, people liked him because they didn't know about that stuff. So I think it's important to be involved enough that you can, you know, keep an eye on things. And then you have to decide, am I going to leave? Am I going to say something? Uh, Is this church, you know, worth fighting for? And that's why churches have elders and, you know, governing bodies. And can kind of see why non-denominational churches are more susceptible to these problems. But I'm going to wrap it up here and say that I understand that leaving a church can be really difficult, even when you understand that things are bad and you know all the details, because you have a lot of people there that you love and you don't want to leave those people even if the pastor is bad. So... I'm certainly not judging anyone who, you know, is in a a church that's having problems and hasn't left yet. I trust that you will handle, you know, you'll consult God about that. So, thank you again for listening. And there's a lot more detail about this story on my blog if you want to go read it. It's... It's blueskiesandgreenpastures.com. And I haven't posted this blog yet because I want to read over it one more time. Um, 
But I have a lot more information on there about mega churches and other things. So I hope you will check it out. And in the meantime, a quick update on my husband. He's he's really making slow progress. So please keep praying for his lungs to heal and for him to regain his strength uh, as he is still using oxygen as of this date, which is uh, September 5th. He still needs oxygen and gets out of breath if he even on the oxygen, if he's walking around or something, he's he's very weak. But I know the Lord will heal him in due time, and if he doesn't, I still trust him. So thank you, and God bless, and I pray that you will give your life to Jesus if you haven't already, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. If you have any questions, please message me. Or go to my blog and you can find my email address there, blueskiesandgreenpastures at gmail.com. Take care now. Bye.